Lindsay Barra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs, a Swiss Army knife of a player who logs games at all three outfield positions and second and third base. From mid-August to mid-September, Happ was the hottest hitter in baseball, hitting 365 with 11 home runs and 26 RBIs. The 27-year-old plays to a two-handicap on the golf course, has dabbled with a pescatarian diet, and is a self-proclaimed coffee nerd. He also hosts his own podcast, The Compound, talking all things baseball with fellow MLB players Zach Short and Dakota Meckes. You're in Philadelphia today, right? Correct. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time out on a uh, game day to come and chat with me. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me on. Is there a cheesesteak or some crab fries in your future? (laughs) (laughs) They do make a really mean cheesesteak at the field. So I'll mix one of those in in the next three days. It's just finding the right time for one of those. It's a a cheesesteak actually made at one of the uh, vendors in the ballpark or in the clubhouse? No, it's in the clubhouse. Like one of the chefs there has a really like a legendary cheesesteak. So it's a must every time we come to Philly. Wow. That sounds like a good treat. It is. So I want to get a little bit into your um, baseball background. You played baseball at the University of Cincinnati, but you're also a two handicap in golf, which is not something that happens overnight. So I assume you've been golfing for a long time. So what made you choose baseball? Yeah, I grew up around golf. My dad worked for the United States Golf Association. He was a really good player himself. And so we grew up. Uh, my brother and I with hands in our clubs from a, a very, very young age, really as, as early as we could walk. So that was kind of you know, natural for us. But I fell in love with baseball. You know, my brother, six years older, he played. And so when I was seven, eight years old, he was heading into high school and going through that. And then he played Division One ball, too. So that was kind of the love. Uh, that was where all the focus and energy was. And I played high school golf okay it was never a even a thought to go try to play in college it was always baseball the whole way and uh luckily you know now uh in the big leagues i've gotten some time to play in the off season and get the game pretty good but baseball's always been number one is this the lowest handicap you've ever had the two i had no i had a point i'm a i think i'm a point nine right now okay. i had a plus point eight at one point i don't know how that happened i think it was just a a string of good rounds in a row that was a little bit too low for me i can't go playing any money games at a plus 0.8 that's uh dangerous with the handicap wow so i always love to tell this to baseball players who play golf my grandfather was yogi berra who mm-hmm. was a left-handed hitting catcher but he was a natural right-hander his older brother switched him around when he was very young because he thought he'd have a better chance of making the big leagues. But he really did a lot of things kind of either way. So he hit left-handed in baseball in the big leagues, but he actually played golf right-handed. However, he putt left-handed and he kept one left-handed eight iron in his bag. He carried like his 13 clubs, but then had the left-handed eight iron in case he ever got behind a tree and had a bad lie, he could turn around and hit the other way. So <laughs> which way that you play golf? Incredible. <laughs> I play golf. So I play golf right-handed. And I've been working on switch hitting since I was eight, but like full-time switch hitting since I was a freshman high school, I've been doing a long time. And people ask me if I can play a golf club left-handed and it's a hard no. I've tried it. I, it's not even close. I can't even make the move happen. 
That's crazy. So you couldn't make the hit behind the tree if you had to. You'd have to just no, punch out no, like I, the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be completely ugly. I could. And it's amazing to me, even watching professional golfers when they can flip around and do it the other way. It blows my mind. Wow. So how are you more comfortable hitting in baseball? I know you are a switch hitter, but which is your favorite side of the plate? It really depends. Depends on the week. Depends on the day. It really goes back and forth. I have more success in my career left-handed, but it really, it really does depend on the day of the week, how comfortable I am. And you are a natural righty, like you brush your teeth and cut your steak with your right hand? Correct. Correct. Do everything right-handed. It's so interesting to me that you can even, I mean, it just, my grandfather blew my mind, but anybody who could turn around because I could not brush my teeth left-handed for all the tea in China, there'd be toothpaste all over the bathroom. So anyway, so since making your big league debut in 2017, you've played all three outfield positions, all the infield positions, but shortstop. I saw you had a few innings pitched at Cincinnati. How did you become such a jack of all trades? Good question. I, you know, I kind of grew up doing that. You know, I wanted to be a shortstop really bad, but I you know, messed around the outfield during practice. And um, when I got to Cincinnati, I think we had in my recruiting class, like six or eight shortstops or something crazy. And I wanted to play short, obviously, but I wanted to get on the field. And so I started my first game, my career first base. I played some second that year, played a little bit of short. And then as I went to play in the Cape Cod League and wanted to get in, in the lineup, same things. So I played some first, I played some outfield. And that's just kind of how my career went all the way through college ball was playing different positions, giving that versatility so that I could get in the lineup. And then when I got to the pro ball, played a lot of second base coming up. I really wanted to work on that and be able to do it at the big league level. And then when I got to the big leagues, you know, we had such a good team in 2017 that it was really finding a place where I could play. So I played, played some second, played some third, uh, obviously all three outfield positions. And it's kind of just been what I've done my whole career. The last couple of years has been a little bit more stable in the outfield, but I think just providing that versatility and, and giving the team options can only help. How do you adjust your training to be ready to play all of those positions? Yeah. A lot of the off season training is about, athleticism and just being able to be kind of at your peak athleticism and mobility. A lot of the infield and outfield training is similar. I think if you, you know, if you're a full-time infielder, you're probably more thinking about side to side and quick movements and being low to the ground and lateral. Whereas in the outfield, it's being explosive and covering ground, covering more ground, I guess, and more of a sprint position. So there's been some tweaks there depending on where I think I'm going to play that year, but it really is for me, uh, a lot of focus on that athleticism, uh, explosiveness and the rotation that goes into baseball. What do your off season workouts look like to hone that athleticism? Yeah, I do. We do a lot of phases. So our season's an interesting one, right? We play 162 games in 185 days. So yeah. coming off of that, you know, the probably the first three weeks of the off season or more, but down, phase of rest and recovery um, trying to get on a really healthy diet right out of the chute and then usually that kind of week four will start to phase in it's more light it's more body weight mobilities getting some of that motion back trying to build that foundation for what will be the strength and the power phases of my off season which are geared to some olympic lifting and just building that foundation so that once i start to get into moving heavy weights 
everything's in the right spot and, and my body can handle it. And then once I get kind of into spring training right before there, we'll start to taper that into spring training into more of a in-season phase, which is back to kind of some mobility, some lighter exercises that are allowing me to go out and play every day. So that's kind of how I tailor it. I like to also, I like to at the beginning really drop whatever bad weight I have from the season and kind of rebuild that through the off season. That's a big goal of mine every year. So I can get to my ideal playing weight by the time we get to spring training. You mentioned some of the Olympic lifts, which are obviously done for power, your power cleaning. Are you snatching? No, not snatching, more deadlifting, squatting, doing some of those exercises from the floor. I have in the past done more Olympic stuff with the cleans and it's something that I've kind of taken out and started to do some of that, that kind of training with more and more of a free weight capacity just for mobility's sake. We've been talking with a lot of strength coaches on the podcast and they talk a lot about how power cleans, the Olympic lifts, they're such technical lifts that if you don't do yeah. that all the time, they're not always the safest. So, um, yeah. and you can mimic a lot of those movements with free weights, just getting that big extension through the hips and the, and through the shoulders without actually using the barbell and kind of putting yourself in jeopardy. So you're doing more of that kind of stuff. Correct. Yeah. That's, it's been big for me to kind of into that triple extension, get myself in that position when I'm going and we're doing a lot of with a squat or with a deadlift or with a lunge going directly into a jump series with that to kind of mimic the motion and create that explosiveness. When you say we, who do you train with during the off season? Yeah, I have a couple trainers out of Dallas. You know, one, they work together, but one is more of a, you know, weightlifting physical focus and the other is a body posture kind of alignment focus. Um, so I do a lot of, especially with what, with what we do every day with how much rotating we do. And you know, for me, switch hitting, it's not completely one-sided, but baseball is such a one-sided sport. You know, if you're throwing right hand, if you're hitting right hand, you're always rotating the same way. So your body can get really out of, out of whack and get really, you can have a lot of compensation. Like if you look at pitchers who have been playing for throwing baseballs for 20 years, you know, the, let's say it's a right-handed pitcher, their right scap is going to be halfway down their back and the left mm-hmm. scap is in, in the right spot. So we're always trying to fix those misalignments and get the body back to a position where you're not going to get hurt. And I think that's for the injury prevention and then letting my body uh, work in the most optimal way. That's been huge for me over the last few years. Do you feel that being a switch hitter does help you even yourself out a bit compared to other players? Definitely, it's huge. From the workload that I put in on the practice side, being able to have that uh, rotating from both sides and kind of that even split. It's definitely made it easier for me to keep my body in balance. You know, the throwing obviously is a little different, but I've played with so many guys who are one-sided and, uh, you know, you get that guys get 15 years into their career and, and that's just a lot of damage done on the body. And it's something that if you're always on top of it, uh, it's manageable, but if you're, you know, if you're not on top of it for that amount of time, it's really hard to reverse. Yeah. There's so many guys, I mean, people do like, you know, cable rotational exercises on both sides, but when you're doing like three sets of 10, it just doesn't stand up to like 300 throws from the outfield. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And you have, you know, you have pitchers who, when they go through their day, you know, they're probably making a hundred or so throws a day on the, just on a normal day. Then they have their bullpen day, which is a few hundred and between actual throws and off the mound. And then you have, you know, that actual day when they pitch, which is, 80 to 110, like all out full effort. And so being able to kind of 
balance that and make sure that your body's always in the same place when you're going into that day is important. I ask this to most of the athletes I talk to, are there any exercises that you love to hate the ones that you can't stand doing, but you know, you need to do them. So you do them anyway. I'm really big on low rep sets. Like if there's an exercise that is three by 10 or three by 15, I hate it. <laughs> so like we'll do some step ups have been one of the past that I've absolutely hated. They take forever. You know, you're doing like three by 10 and you have to do them on both sides. Can't stand that. There's a lot of but with what I do with my posture trainer. A lot of what we do is holds for four minutes or three minutes in different positions. And some can be extremely boring, but also extremely painful. So there's a few that we do together where, you know, he says, all right, go into this one. It's like, oh no, not today. I don't have it in me. What kind of position would that be? There's one, one that I just really, really hate. There's one called triangle. That's just brutal. It's kind of like triangle and yoga up against mm -hmm. the wall though. Um, oh, nice. And that's a couple minute hold. And then we have, we do some wall sit stuff that can get a little aggressive, especially like a decline wall sit for a minute plus. Like those can be just brutal. See, now I love the triangle pose. I have messed up discs. So it like stretches out my QLs and yeah. whatnot. I love kind of hanging out in that for a while. <laughs> Oh man, I get to about the 30 second mark and I'm like, all right, we've had, I've had enough. That's really funny. So you picked the right sport. If you like those low rep, quick bursts, if you were uh, playing basketball or hockey had to have like a, you know, 60 second shift, you wouldn't be a happy man. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm 90 feet at a time. That's how I live my life. That's all. That's all I got in quick, huh. explosive 15 seconds of focus. That's where I'm at. How do the workouts change? in season, obviously you don't have the kind of time, but you want to try to maintain some strength and mobility. How do you do that playing games every day? Yeah, it's interesting. I've done different things throughout my career. The one thing that's constant is the posture. I do every day, 20 to 40 minutes of posture, no matter how my body's feeling. And then you know, if something's tweet. I think one of the things that we deal with, every athlete deals with this, but because we play every day in baseball, you don't have recovery days. You don't have days in between competition to go, okay, I'm going to do these things to recover for the next game. It's every single day. So even when something's tweaked or messed up and maybe that body posture time goes longer or is two times a day, but that's something that's really kept me on the field and helped me get back into competition if anything's uh, messed up. So that's a constant for me every day. And then the weightlifting it changes depending on how my body feels. It changes a lot depending if there's something that's tweaked, if, if my body can take the workouts. But one thing I really like doing is we play a lot of day games in Chicago too. So one of the things I really like doing is getting my body moving in the morning and doing five or six exercises at a low weight volume, but just moving around, getting in there and doing two sets of a light chest press or two sets of a light lunge and just getting in and feeling that body moving. It's something I picked up from Jake Arrieta, a guy who looks like a Greek God and it's just <laughs> always moving and always stretching. And it's just something that it helps me get my body kind of in a, in a flow or a rhythm and ready for the day. Uh, and I'm always feel like I'm doing a few things to highlight different muscle groups, as opposed to only dedicating two days a week or three days a week to really getting a 30, 40 minute workout in dealing with that soreness has been, a difficult thing for me throughout my career. So instead of that, letting my body get to that point, you know, I trust that if I just activate enough muscles on a daily basis, then my body will 
continue to, to use that strength because it's built up in the off season. I would imagine that that sort of eases the warm up for batting practice and whatever outfield stuff you're doing that day as well. Yeah. And it's huge for on day games for us because we, you know, we don't take batting practice day games. We play so many in Chicago. It's one of the coolest parts about being a cub is you get to kind of live that normal Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nine to five uh, and go out to eat. But it's also really different from how everybody else prepares for games. So you're getting to the park at say nine o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning. You're not taking batting practice. So say I get there at nine 30, get in the hot tub, grab some breakfast, do a half hour with my posture trainer from like 10 to 10 30 or 10 30 to 11. And then I'm in the weight room trying to get ready from say 11 to 11 45, 11 to 12. And then I'll go in the cage, hit for 15, 20 minutes shower. And that's the game. So like, that's how quick our day game workout schedules are. So for me to be able to get my body ready in that amount of time and really feel like I'm prepared for that 120 start, that's the weight room and, and the posture is going to be part of that. So part of, I think what helps get a lot of big leaguers through such a long season is the fact that it's fairly routine, but if you're playing mostly day games in Chicago and then going on the road and playing mostly night games, that totally upsets the apple cart with relation to your schedule. And when you're able to get to sleep, when you get up, when you eat, how do you handle that? For sure. For sure. That's been a huge challenge is that sleep part. I think that everybody has a different, some things that help them fall asleep, some things that make it really tough. I think winding down for me from night games is really difficult. I've been someone who's traditionally, I'd like to blame my mother for being someone who goes to sleep very late because she's a, <laughs> she's been insomniac her whole life. So it's something that I've tried to really feel good with about seven hours of sleep. Like I know if I get seven, I'll feel great. And then when we go on the road and we can be in a hotel room and kind of close the curtains, like I can get that nine, 10 hours and, and kind of recharge. So that's something that I've dealt with. I've meditated a lot. I've used a lot of different techniques to get to sleep core. The meditation ball has been a huge one for me this year, being able to use that both in the morning and at night before bed, kind of use guided meditation to go to sleep. It's, mm -hmm. it's something that has really changed the way that I get to sleep and, and use that ability. Are there any other things uh, you mentioned the meditation ball, but like recovery modalities that help you get through the long season or help you sleep anything that you travel with that you feel is really helpful? Yeah. So I'm really, I'm not big on ice. I've never been a big ice guy. I've never loved the cold tub. It's not something that I don't enjoy doing it. I fight it. Uh, I don't. So I'm really big on on the mind. Like if my, if I'm hating doing it, I don't think it's just so going to help my body. So if I have like an actual impact injury, like if I've gotten hit or there's some bruise or something like I'll do cold then. But for the most part, I try to stay away from that. So I'll do some hot tub to get loose. And then I travel with the Normatec legs. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love the air compression and what that does for me. So I travel with those. I have them in my apartment in Chicago. So I'll, I'll use those few, maybe two, three, four times a week to get some recovery on my legs. And then I have the, uh, the massage gun if there's a different from hyperites, if there's a spot that's feeling a little tight and I can get through that. And the, some of the posture stuff I uh, travel with, it's pretty basic. Like it's a strap and then there's a kind of like a wood tower that you can, you kind of lay in for half hour to an hour in different positions versus spine lengthening and some hip mobility stuff. So those are kind of some of the things I do away from the field to really get my body in the right place. 
But those hyper isolates have been a complete game changer for me. Do they make you carry the wood tower by yourself, or do you get to throw that on the in the bottom of the plane? Uh, no, it's the bottom of the plane one. That one that's a nice <laughs> one. Our staff does a really good job of making sure that if we have something that, even if it's just that we use, uh, they really take care of making sure that we have it with us and uh, honor our routines, which I I appreciate because I know it's not like that everywhere. Yeah. Do you uh, follow a particular diet at the moment? I know you uh, went pescatarian for a while. I did go pescatarian for a while. Not right now. Pescatarian was an interesting one for me because I, I did. I had one of my best years I've ever had. My body felt great, but it was something that once I got into the off season and I was, I'm big on nutrition. I, I have someone prepare my food for me in the off season. It's been something that, you know, Dexter Fowler and Tommy was still recommended to me my first year in the league. And I love doing that from the convenience standpoint and from not having to, to have being able to trust that. And it was just so much carbs without the meat that when I was trying to do my offset during the season, it was okay because it wasn't working out as hard. It was enough to put back in. But when I was really working out hard, but not an endurance athlete, right? Like I'm not running on the treadmill. I'm not burning 10,000 calories a day. So it was just so much carbohydrates into my body that I felt like I was getting slow, felt like I was putting on some weight when I shouldn't have been. Uh, and so kind of Thanksgiving last year, I went back to kind of a more whole diet where it was less carbs, no sugar and mixing in meat in kind of the right proportions. And, and I feel really good, but there are times throughout the season when two or three weeks gets away from you. And I feel like, Hey, I'm a little heavy. And we have a great nutritionist here in Chicago that helps kind of put that back together and say, all right, I'll go through the spreads with her. I'll be like, look, feeling fat, I need you to help me and uh-huh. say, Hey, take these two things, stay away from this. And my body's usually pretty responsive, but it's a more, more normal diet right now. So the pescatarian, you felt like, I guess that you weren't getting enough calories because fish is lower calorie than meat and they were making up for it with carbohydrate. Yeah. It was just in order to get enough calories in, I was eating huge portions of rice or beans or gotcha. different things that my body wasn't processing that well. And I wasn't doing, you know, some of the athletes that you, I watched game changers. I loved what they had to say. And a lot of the athletes in those documentaries are big time endurance athletes, cyclists, runners, Olympic weightlifters, and they're just, they're burning such an immense amount of calories. And I love, I love the idea of it. It's just, I'm not, I didn't feel like I was burning enough calories to be able to handle that amount of carbohydrates. Because you only go 90 feet at a time. <laughs> only go 90 feet at a time. I don't, I don't love running. I don't, I don't, I'm not getting on that bike and going for a few miles. Yeah. So what does a day of eating look like for you during the season? That's a good question. You know, it changes day game to night game. Day game, it's a pre-eggs-focused breakfast, maybe a... Uh, something light right before the game, but it's usually protein based, like a something with peanut butter. Then after the game, you know, whatever the post game spread is, I'll try to manage that and a kind of a recovery smoothie. And there could be uh, another small meal before bed, but I try to kind of keep that at, or if it's, if I'm going out to eat, I try to keep that at the field meal really small and then go out to eat. Then night games, usually I'll try to, I have big coffee drinker. So I'm getting up and having coffee. I'll have kind of a late morning, something small, then go to the field and kind of pick throughout the day. I don't, when I get to the field, I'm not having a huge meal. I'm kind of picking 
around uh, on the spread. Maybe we have like two or three little small plates or bowls or something before the game and then have whatever the spread is after the game. I don't like to put too much in at one time during the day when we're, we're kind of floating around doing stuff. And there feels like, I guess during our schedule, there feels like there's natural eating times, whether it's before BP, after BP, before you go to the cage. Uh, there's always a couple of times when you're passing the kitchen going, yeah, I think this works. Do you eat during the game? I do. Uh, I'm a big snacker during the game. We've had some pretty good little snacks. We have our kitchen in Chicago makes us these great, like peanut butter protein balls uh, that are awesome. You know, I'll, I'll hit a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'll do some small pretzels or something, but I'm a huge snacker during the game. So I try to, you know, every couple of innings, put something in uh, and keep that going, which is something that I've always liked to do. And our nutritionist has a great job of having it available for us. And uh, you, know, you mentioned you have the recovery smoothie. What's in that? Actually a lot of uh, sleep focus. So it's tart cherry juice, I'm trying to think of everything that she puts in it. But I, I, we had a conversation a, a few months ago where I said, Hey, I'm not sleeping well. I'm not able to get to bed. Uh, I'm having a tough time staying up. So she said, all right, well, let me make you a post-game recovery smoothie. I'll put some stuff in for inflammation and, and muscle recovery. And then I'll do char cherry magnesium, some stuff to help you get to sleep. And that, that's been really a nice way for me to kind of have something to help my body. But then at the same time, a little bit of peace of mind if there's something helping me get to bed uh, and just kind of wind down. So obviously you just mentioned like tartary magnesium. Are there any other supplements that you take that you just can't live without? I don't know if there's anything I can't live. I've never been a big supplement guy. I just have never had enough knowledge of it or felt comfortable enough. I think from a young age, especially in college and, and professional baseball, there's just such a, you're so scared of doing something or putting something in your body that might pop a positive on anything. So I've really stayed away from a lot of supplements. You know, some of the really natural ones, uh, I like turmeric, obviously, you know, tart cherry, magnesia, and some of those things. But I do wish that there was a little bit of a, a broader education where we were able to say like, hey, these things are really going to help you. And these are huge no-nos, but it just feels like the lines for us can be so blurred sometimes. It's funny that, you know, there's a lot of these supplements now, protein powders and whatnot that are NSF certified and you think that they're okay, but then you do hear about athletes who are saying, oh, I thought it was, I thought it was approved and it was good to go. So it is definitely something you have to be concerned about. Yeah. And I've always felt good about where my body is and, and trying to use those, you know, some of those natural advantages and how do I get the most out of my body and help my, myself? It's really about recovery. It's about how do I recover? as best as I possibly can so that I'm as fresh as I can be for the 162 games. Yeah. Do you have favorite cheat foods? Pizza. <laughs> Pizza is a huge one for me. I used to be a massive breakfast guy as a kid and I was waffles and pancakes was like, that was it. And so when, when I would go my you know, first couple years in the big leagues and I would go on the road, I would go find a breakfast spot and have a coffee and then like the pancakes. And I realized pretty quickly that it was very difficult for me to have like a short stack of pancakes and then go play a game. And I just, even if I, we had a night game, it would just wait. It was like such a big stomach bomb carb load that I would feel kind of tired for the whole day. So it was something I had to kind of curb and stop, but the off season, big into the Kodiak pancakes in the off season and try to do some of that stuff so that I could still have some of those cheat meals. 
But now, now you've moved on to pizza. Is that an off day thing or a post game thing for you? When do you cheat? It's usually both, especially like Chicago for us. We have a Sunday day game headed into a Monday night game or a Monday off day. It's generally a great time for me to mix in a pizza. I'm not a Chicago deep dish guy. And I kind of stay away from that. But, you know, find a good thing for us around Chicago. Take one of those down. That's, that's a wonderful cheat meal for me. I don't like the thick crust either. It's always like kind of greasy and a little bit mushy in the middle. And I'm like, no, no, it's got to be crispy. Yeah. yeah. The only one that's any you get this small, like personal size. It's so small that that middle doesn't turn into soup. And oh. you can just have one little corner of that and it's okay. But if you get any, if you get a medium or a large deep dish, the middle is just, it's just pizza soup in there. That's a, that's a good trick. Order the child size. Yep. Por- portion control too. Exactly. So you've mentioned coffee a couple of times during COVID you partnered with connect roasters in Chicago to produce quarantine coffee with the part of the proceeds benefiting COVID relief. You are a self-proclaimed coffee nerd. How did all of that come about? Yeah, that was a pretty cool project that I was in Arizona when we got shut down and I was just on social media looking and I saw this company out of Chicago there was making coffee. I reached out to the founder and said, Hey, you know, we're in Arizona. Is there any way you could send me? There was nothing anywhere in any shelves. And I said, Hey, is there any way you can send me a couple bags of coffee? Tried this stuff and was just completely floored with how good it was. And so reached out to Caleb, the founder, said, Hey, man, I love what you're doing. Would you be interested in doing a coffee together and called Quarantine Coffee? We'll give the proceeds to some, some organizations in Chicago and help with COVID relief. They were already a mission-based company um, giving back to where they sourced their beans from in, in different areas in Guatemala and the Dominican and Nicaragua. So it was something that they believed strongly in. And so they were on board from the beginning. I think we had it up and running in two or three weeks. And it's been just an unbelievable partnership. I have invested in the company because I believe so much in them. We're building out a platform through the Home Run Club where uh, we have a subscription model where we give $5 to all of our, our customers. You know, we're giving to the first tee of Chicago for through golf, through the morale blend, which has been an awesome experience to help them with programming. We're giving to the food bank in Chicago to save the children, both in Chicago and nationwide. And we're looking forward to coming out with some different coffees from different parts of the world that can continue to benefit uh, charities. And, and it, it's just been such a fulfilling experience. I love coffee and being able to drink great coffee and also help people while we do that has been fulfilling in, in a ton of different ways will these new varieties still be under that quarantine coffee label so the, it's all going to kind of go into the it's, connect roasters is the name of the coffee roaster in the company so we're going to fold everything into the connect roasters brand and quarantine coffee will kind of it'll be one label of that eventually that will be folded in to the connect roasters umbrella and one of what we're going to do is every different roast for every different varietal of the coffee will go to a different charity. So let's say that the medium Guatemalan goes directly to the Chicago food bank. So if you want to support the food bank, you get that one. Save the children will be a different one. First deal will be a different one. So every different varietal will support a different charity. And then we'll be able to give back in that way. And hopefully people are, are interested in trying a bunch of different coffees to find their favorite one and then support a bunch of different charities as they do it. How do you like your coffee? I'm a black guy. I go straight to black coffee. Sometimes if I'll mix in like a splash of half and half, especially if uh, I'm in a spot where 
don't love how the coffee's roasted. Maybe it's a little, a little bitter. I'll throw in a splash of a splash of milk. But I usually a hot coffee, black in the morning, and then sometimes I'll I'll mix in a cappuccino in the afternoon or a nice coffee in the afternoon. How about how many cups a day do you think you have? Well, I just had a cappuccino while we were talking, and now I'm working on a pour over coffee. I would say that I'm usually two or three cups in the morning and a kind of a rare afternoon coffee. This is during a day game. In the off season or an off day, it gets out of hand. Maybe two or three cups in the morning with maybe two in the afternoon. And that's, that's where I'm at in the off season. How do you balance this with the recovery shake with all the stuff in it that helps you sleep? Like See, that's, why the- <laughs> that, that's why during the season, I stay away from that afternoon coffee. I'm trying to sleep. But when I have an off day, I just, the coffee's flowing all day. Oh, that's awesome. Kind of a bigger question here. What advice would you give to the kids growing up playing baseball who just don't want to put in the time in the gym? They don't like to lift weights. They don't see the need. They think baseball players are different kinds of athletes. How much has that devotion to training off the field helped you in your career? And what would you tell the kids about doing it? It's it's huge. I would say that say from an early age, be as athletic as possible and do as many things, play as many sports, run around as much as you can. And then once you kind of get to high school, that continue playing as many sports, continue being as athletic as you can. But the training for being an athlete, training for getting stronger starts to become really important. And it's not about getting into some program that people tell you is going to put you in the big leagues tomorrow. It's about being the most athletic, strongest version of yourself and creating those habits and that work ethic. Because as you get older, as you get stronger, as you get more specific in your sport, those patterns, knowing how you're moving, doing it the right way becomes super important. I was somebody who wor- I worked really, really hard in high school. I worked out super hard. I you know, lifted heavy weights. I did everything. I uh, got to college, same thing. You know, we had our strength program in Cincinnati when I got there was more of a football focus. And we had our football trainer would put us through stuff. It wasn't baseball focused. It was more general strength. I got strong. I worked really hard, but I didn't do it in the right way. I didn't do it in the most specific way. I ended up having a double sports hernia because I was strong, but I wasn't balanced. I wasn't rotational. I wasn't in the right place to perform baseball every day. And I got myself in a place where... Uh, I had to work through a surgery and an injury because of that. Now, I would say be as athletic, be as balanced, be as strong as you can. And if you build that foundation the right way, you'll be able to transition that into whatever sport specific that you want to do. Cool. Ian, where can people uh, follow you on social media? And also, where can we listen to your podcast? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I have underscore one. And then our podcast is on all platforms, The Compound. And we talk about we talk about baseball, we talk about the Cubs, but we have myself, Zach Short, who's with the Tigers, and Dakota Meccas, who's who's with the Cubs. We're three guys that play ball together, live together, and we just we just talk about baseball I want to put the chest out. We're out. we have a great time doing it. Cool. Well, Ian, I thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that you get to have one of those delicious cheesesteaks down in uh, Philadelphia. And I wish you luck with the rest of the season. Very much. Have a good one. Thanks, Ian. 
Thanks so much to Ian for joining us today. Follow Ian on Instagram and Twitter at at I have underscore one and check out his podcast, The Compound. You can also follow the Chicago Cubs on Instagram and Twitter at at Cubs. Next time on Food of the Gods, we'll talk with Dr. Mita Singh, a physician and psychiatrist who specializes in the science of sleep. Dr. Singh works with numerous NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, Olympic, and college sports teams, providing evidence-based guidance to help them optimize sleep to maximize performance. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast.com gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.